Hello and welcome to our Spotlight podcast on flow cytometry. I am Lucy Cliff, editor of Bioanalysis Zone, and I'm joined today by Clara Brando, scientific director, and Ted Baginski, associate scientific director at Eurofin's Pharma Bioanalytics Services, to discuss their experiences working with flow cytometry. To start with, could you both introduce yourselves and explain your background in flow cytometry? This is Ted Baginski. I'm one of the associate scientific directors here at Eurofins. My background includes 18 years of drug development experience at Pfizer. My original flow cytometry experience was centered around identifying various immunophenotypic agents and modifiers. I have a large amount of experience in a variety of mouse models of allergic lung and mouse models of rheumatoid arthritis. As part of the readouts for those models, I used quite a bit of flow cytometry to identify the infiltrating cells and the effects of the potential therapeutics. I also have 10 years experience at Eurofins developing and qualifying flow cytometric methods. The variety of client types of projects that I've worked on include things such as flow cytometry-centered NAVs all the way out to rare event determinations of vaccines. This is Clara Brando. I have about 25 years in cellular immunology. I am an immunologist by training, starting from my PhD when I was investigating the mechanism of action of drugs. I used a lot of cytometry. At the time, it was among a limited number of color. I then developed all through my career toward vaccine, where I am facing the challenge of determination of multiple parameters in order to define the protective cell, in particular T cells. I then expand my flow cytometry approach to the cellular response to viral vector in gene therapy and to generally speaking, receptor occupancy in case of determination neutralizing antibody. I also have developed and published several number of papers on a new novel assay to assess by cytometry cytotoxicity, and that's applied to determination of antibody-dependent cytotoxicity as well as cytotoxicity of killer cells. Thank you both. What is your current research focused in, and how do you apply this to flow cytometry? This is Ted Beginski, and I can tell you that we've got a number of different client-based projects here over at Eurofins associated with the flow cytometry platform. They run the gamut from evaluation and monitoring vaccine efficacy all the way through investigation of receptor-mediated activation and transduction, the so-called intracellular signaling, possible proteins, acetylated proteins as consequences of drug targeting or drug action, and all the way through using a high-throughput screening type of method for monitoring or determining neutralizing antibody activity. Our client base ranges from some of the, uh, the smaller biotech types of startups all the way through the, the major pharmaceutical companies. As an addendum to the evaluation using a flow cytometry for the vaccine efficacy, we monitor the generation of the population of a very specific T-cell type, the CD8-positive T-cell, and we look for the determination of the vaccine's efficacy using a specific group of reporters that are bound on the cell surface. At the present time, we use a variety of tetramers and dextromers to determine the activity of the cells of the vaccine in a large patient population. 
it requires quite a bit of immunophenotyping down to that population. And then once we get to that particular immunophenotype of CD8 positive T cells, we look for the expression of the tetramers. A six and a seven color type of evaluation. We worked with the client for probably close to 10 to 12 months to get this custom assay up and approved and going. And right now, presently, we've got this fully validated and currently engaged in sample analysis of the client. This is Clara. And in addition to what I said just explained, we also see coming um, need for evaluation of a vector uh, immunogenicity in um, gene therapy. So we are uh, trying to set up new assay for this evaluation. Also, we are working together in order to plan how to offer to clients a new assay to evaluate cytotoxicity, in particular, antigen-dependent uh, cytotoxicity. Thank you both. What challenges do you face when developing a flow cytometry assay? Okay, so this is Clara. And so what it is with the flow cytometry nowadays, we still face a day-to-day reproducibility. We are oftentimes, the challenge is given by the number of cells. We, we may need a large number of cells, and sometimes that is not possible. The analysis often requires time. Sometimes samples may require like five, six, seven minutes for each sample, and we certainly could benefit of the possibility of running the, each assay in shorter time. Then we have the critical reagent preparation in flow cytometry. It's not really a straightforward for other assays, so we definitely wish that the flow cytometry community work together to have this better defined. And then the preparation of positive control, where in Ted's lab there has been a big effort to become state-of-the-art on this, but still we are working on that. And is one of the challenges to have established positive control with protocol and SOP. This is what we are currently working on that to improve that even further. To add on to that just a bit, as far as the challenges, I think the generation of the um, process control, the QC, what we call process QC, has been probably one of the most important things that we do for the clients and have been lacking at other CROs as far as monitoring the day-to-day activity of the assay and whether you've done the appropriate or the reasonable staining, whether it's through just the immunophenotyping or the immunophenotyping plus the target of interest, it always falls on the process control to monitor that in which you run those along with the patient samples. So unlike some of the standard large molecule PK or biomarker types of assays where you simply spike a recombinant protein into a negative base pool, we have to generate our own positive controls. And that's generally done by stimulating a cell type of interest with a particular agonist in achieving a result and increase or upregulation of the event or the expression that you're interested in seeing. And you do that at a, a number of different levels as far as concentrations of the agonist, or perhaps you modify or you change the time, maybe once stimulated at four hours and once stimulated at eight hours, and you are able to generate high and a low signal. And then we use the control and our uh, quality controls, and we use those to develop and qualify the assay and apply all the various fit-for-purpose evaluations. I would say that the only other 
piece that becomes kind of critical on a day-to-day basis and from a real functioning basis from a CRO. We also not only deal with the science, but we deal with the clients and try to project and predict timelines, costs, and assaying specifics as far as things that we think will be of use for the development of their assays. So just kind of a real-world consideration that's on top of the biological considerations. What technological improvements are required to improve flow cytometry? Okay, so this is Clara, and uh, most definitely what we would like to have is a higher panel of a compatible fluorochrome conjugate antibody. It's never enough, and we are more and more going to a rare event, so the ability to discriminate with you know, a low number of cells. Then again, I'd like to reiterate that if we could go faster, that would be great, like Ted just said, and I believe that is most of what I see right now. I could add just a quick statement in regards to the new technology. We've got a whole slurry of flow cytometers, or the acoustically focused flow cytometers, and for rare event evaluation and determination, those acoustically focused flow cytometers allow you to run your instrument at a high rate of speed so that you can decrease your acquisition time associated with each of the samples versus a traditional flow cytometer. The acoustically focused sends a signal, acoustic signal through the flow cell that allows or only permits the samples, the cells, to be interrogated in a single cell fashion without any generation of, of duplicates or triplicates, which in a traditional flow cytometer would be aborted and not counted as part of the analysis. And so currently with the instruments that we have, the non-acoustically focused, we're required to run all those samples on low to keep the interrogation at the level of flow cell as a single event. With the acoustically focused, you can run it at medium or high, and then the acoustic component of that instrument keeps the cells in a single line regardless of the speed and will decrease the acquisition time, and still you'll get the same number of events. So that's a big improvement there. How can the field be regulated and standardized? The field can be regulated and standardized in a number of ways. The, the way we do it here at Eurofins, at least in the four or five fully validated methods I've been involved with, we use best practices from FDA guidance and from white papers that have been published. Particularly, one that we use quite a bit is best practices of performance flow cytometry in a regulated environment, feedback from experience within the European Bound Analysis Forum, and that was a 2017 white paper. Within the context of that white paper, there is the definition, there is the description of the things that you should perform, both in the qualification and the development of the assay, and then more importantly, those things that you should include within the context of the validation. And also within that paper, or those types of papers, the acceptance criteria, things that you've got to be aware of to determine whether or not your assay is operating at the level that it needs to be to be considered validated. Those items include things such as compensation matrix when you initially set up your assay. What types of fluorochromes do you choose to go to your markers of interest? I mean, you wouldn't want a super bright color like an APC joined to a very common CD marker like CD3. The color and the frequency would just make it so bright that it would overshine all your other types of cellular events. 
So it's kind of an upfront type of thing, designing your reagents and how to join and how to select the fluorochromes to the CD markers you're interested in. So that would be the compensation. We also do a determination of staining index, where you determine what concentration of your critical reagent, which marks the cellular bank you're most interested in, and you determine the staining index. It's a very specific formula. Uh, it's actually a very small mathematical formula, and you just determine mean fluorescence intensity and a variety of concentrations or dilutions of your antibody, and then you choose the one that gives you the highest staining index. Also, as common with some of the other large molecules, we monitor specificity. Unlike some of the large molecules, we're able to do a measurement called FMO, which is fluorescence minus one. We do staining with and without the antibody of interest, and we can see whether or not we have any residual signal in the FMO sample, which would indicate uh, nonspecific binding. We also do things such as the effect of cell number on the resultant signal that's generated. If you collect, say, 10,000 events, which is 10,000 cells, do you get a signal that is equal or equivalent when you collect 500 events? And so there can and cannot be consequences to differences but it's certainly one of the parameters that's recommended in the white paper that we monitor. As far as other items of importance, of course, precision evaluation. The precision evaluation is done with the generated process controls. Like I mentioned previously, you generate the process controls by stimulating a cell type with a particular agonist to upregulate your signal of interest. That entity becomes your process control and serves a substrate for your validating exercises. And we can run those over a number of days, those process controls, and then we can get some sort of a precision evaluation. And within the context of the validation, there is a acceptance criteria associated with precision evaluation. Last two items, I think, of note, stability, you know, your stain entity at two to eight degrees or 15 to 30 degrees, two hours, four hours. You run it freshly prepared and then after sitting on the bench or in the refrigerator for a number of hours and determine whether or not you've got stability. Then I think lastly, what they bring up is kind of a, a secondary consideration for some people is the use of CS and TV to calibrate the instrument on a daily basis so that your day one looks like your day 10 as far as your instrument setup. And then lastly, you can also employ MESF beads, which will standardize the assay of the determination across the large longitudinal study. Maybe the study runs a year or a year and a half with the MESF beads. If you run those and normalize your data on a daily basis, which we do for one of our client studies, you actually regress the signal that you generate in your unknown against the MESF curve, and you get some sort of a normalized value that we report to the client. As long as you run those beads every day, the results that you get on day one versus the results that you would get on, say, day 100, as long as they're regressed using the MESF feeds and you're using normalized data to report, would eliminate any type of longitudinal fade with the instrument. The only thing I'd like to add to all of this is that we all are working towards having the possibility to compare among not only longitudinally in a clinical trial, in an experiment, but also latitudinally among different centers, among different instruments, and possibly even among different instruments of different types. So that is something that the cell cytometry community is paying some attention. 
because more and more we will go to very big clinical trials, maybe multi-center, and that will be a need. And finally, how do you predict that flow cytometry will change in the next few years? The way that we see here, based on our experience here in European and uh, our previous experience that Ted and I had previously in previous company, previous academia, we see that the vaccines are expanding tremendously. And while we were used a time where the vaccine efficacy was solely generation of protective antibody against a specific antigen, now more and more we are looking at the protective cell, and as Ted already has explained, a lot is done in his lab about it, but we want to do more. We want to go from eight markers, we want to go to 13, and maybe even higher number of markers, because we, by reading the literature and going to meeting, we know that now now the protective effect of vaccine is really uh, has a lot to do with the T-cell, the T-cell memory generation, the ability to generate the memory that becomes a factor when it's necessary. And also another fear that has been quite funded um, in the past few years is the B-cell. Uh, times ago, we were only looking at the production of antibody, where, of course, we want this B-cell producing antibody, but we also want to know, understand which are the B-cells that produce antibody, which is the phenotype, which are all the biochemistry behind a B-cell being capable of becoming memory protective and producing protective antibody. So this is a big field that is largely expanded, and we want to be prepared for this client request. So this is essentially the major for vaccine. More and more, the agency has made clear that in order to establish the neutralizing antibody activity, we have to go to cell-based assay. The cell-based assay, uh, everybody is experienced in bioanalytical knows that they are kind of physical, they have a poor sensitivity. Well, we can have a lot higher sensitivity in a flow cytometry. So many of those questions will be answered through flow cytometry. Also, we want to expand our portfolio of uh, assay that we already have uh, quite a big uh, number of assay, but certainly we will be able to measure more and more antigen-dependent cytotoxicity and uh, antibody-dependent cytotoxicity uh, through flow cytometry. We will do this. This will be one of our assays together where measurement of cytotoxicity, especially in case of cancer vaccine. So what we are going is towards the more and more sophisticated assets. We have the expertise here. We have said that as several years of expertise, we have the willingness to keep uh, reading and understanding and learning what is required. So we are certainly going to propose more and more uh, portfolio of uh, test assets. Thank you, Clara and Ted, for joining me. And thank you to our listeners. You can find more resources on flow cytometry on our Spotlight page or via our website at www.bioanalysis-zone.com or join the conversation by following us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn.